Welcome to J-Cal's Journeys. Discover the beating heart of Southeast Queens' vibrant creative community as the Jamaica Center for Arts and Learning proudly present this limited episode podcast series, Exploring Art and Culture in Queens. Hosted by civic engagement strategist and your favorite Queens girly, Tanija Morrison, this series takes listeners on an enriching journey to uncover the stories, inspirations, and cultural influences that define some of Queens' most celebrated creatives. Today, we are with the creative art collector, archivist, and founder of the Gates Preserve, who is also one of my favorite Queens girlies, Sarita Gates. Welcome. T, thank you. You know, anytime you ask me for something, I'm always a yes, sis. So congrats on the show. Shout out to J-Town, one town, one time for one time. Thank you. Thank you, sis. All right, let's just jump right in. For those who do not know, tell us what an archivist is. Yeah, for sure. Like an archivist is a memory worker. An archivist is someone committed to preserving the culture, whatever the culture is. An archivist does the work that your grandmother has always done and you just didn't know. So that that couch that you've seen in your living room that had the plastic on it for the last mm. 50 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that good old archival and Black memory worker work. <laughs> I love that. And how did you get into this archive work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, really, I always said my mom is the first archivist that I've ever known because she's just kept things forever and ever, ever and ever. But how I got into archival work was essentially one of three stories. I'll tell you two today. Um, The first one was my grandmother died when I turned 21 um, and I wanted to ensure that she lasts forever. And she was born in 1926, right? Like she's part of the Harlem, uh, not the Harlem, the Great Migration, moved from North Carolina to Harlem. They then moved to Brooklyn, got a little bit of change. Then they moved to Queens because they was getting money. Um, And I was like, yeah, how can I ensure that she lasts forever? Because you can't Google her. Now you can. You know what I mean? So that's one way that I got into archival work. That's kind of like the core and the foundation. But the second way I got into the archival work, I was writing for online hip hop publication, um, realized I didn't know any hip hop journalists. Um, and then I started pondering a question like, who tells the story of the journalist when they're literally the ones telling everyone else's story? Greg Tate, rest in peace, was like me. So I started the journey of doing a documentary around hip hop journalists. And when, and I, and I realized, one, I didn't know any hip hop journalists, but two, I couldn't find their work online. So that led me to collecting, or I have all the vibe, I have all the ego trip, I have all of the source, et cetera, et cetera. And um, one of the writers was like, She's like, yo, you're like a hip hop archivist. And I had to come home and do the Googles because ain't no, you, you uh, MTA got that. Teacher got that. Social worker got that. Archivist, I, I don't know now. Uh-uh. <laughs> so um, she gave me language for being an archivist. Um, and so I put the two and two together and, you know, here we are. God's Ooh. plan, no Drake. Language is important. I hope somebody takes that away. Shout out to Joan Morgan. Shout out to Paula Renfro. And you already know. Hit after hit. Listen, who who put in that work? So I, right. I just I just commend you. Um, you just you literally just hit on this about being a, a hip hop archivist, which means that your work involves um is prevalent in hip hop culture. Could you share how your multimedia company, The Gates Preserve, Hello, has contributed to preserving the culture for future generations? 
Yeah. Um, I think what separates us from a lot of archives or just like our work is unique because one, we're committed to giving people access to the archive. Because when you go to an archive at an institution, the barriers to entry are really crazy. It's like you got to give your name, your address, your mama's name, your social security number, uh, your blood type. I'm capping, but you really do have to give a lot to ensure that you can see one piece of paper. So one access is really important. But what we, um, but what we do is, yeah, we're again, we're a multimedia experience company committed to archiving and preserving hip hop. And what we do is we take the archive. And we reimagine it in such a way that it's presented in a new way, right? Because if you weren't reading the source at the time when the source is popping, you don't know that the source is important, right? Like if you if you weren't watching video music box, shout out to Uncle Ralph, at its peak, you know what I mean? You might not know, and you didn't watch the Showtime documentary, you might not know the importance of Uncle Ralph and Video Music Box, right? If you didn't, if you didn't grow up in Queens and you didn't know that they shot the Hate Me Now video on 194 and Linden with Puff and Nas on top of the corner store, you don't know how important that video is. You know what right. I'm saying? And then they did the Freaky Top funeral across the street. Like you don't know these things. So we co we collect these artifacts. We have clothing, we have photographs, we have documents, we have books, we have magazines, we have video we have audio we have all of these things um and we give access to essentially whoever wants access and create new things from the archive so again i'm working on a documentary around hip-hop journalism i'm working on a book around hip-hop journalism we just got the privilege to partner with queen's public library and uncle ralph to do this really big hip hop um, 50 initiative in which we did all of the AI experience, right? So like, what does it look like for a young person who's 15, who's used to only interacting with their phone to then be introduced to MC Light, to then be introduced to Al Cool J, to then be introduced to Al, um, to Busta Rhymes, et cetera, through the technology that they understand. Um, so that those are some ways that we've been able to kind of like reimagine what's possible inside of the archiving space in a way that's like lit, and popping and you know what i'm saying like real jiggy if you're looking for an affordable accessible way to grow as an artist check out jcal arts classes jcal's cornerstone year-round programs offer high quality visual and performing art classes and workshops for youth adults families and seniors classes include piano painting cartooning animation fashion design ceramics acting, and much more. Learn more about our classes at jcal.org. It's in our DNA to preserve the culture so that in 100 years, 200 years from now, people know these names. And God willing, with us doing the work that we're committed to, we'll be in the lineage of those names. You know what I'm saying? Come on. I don't even know if that answered your question. but No, it, it, it did. It did a thousand <laughs> times over because the most important thing that you said was I didn't ask for hip hop. I was, it was, hip hop happened to me. Right. And I think that's just so important for even our young people right now. And even though they're, they're being acclimated to a different type of hip hop and maybe a different 100%. genre and movement of hip hop, it has all been birthed to so many things. I've been all year talking about this little thin line that should be just a broader spectrum from 
you know, eight, 16, 19 to, you know, 1865 to mm-hmm. hip hop, right? To, from jazz to blues to hip hop to drill. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can continue to do that work through this archival history so that what has been, especially when it comes to Queens and the Etta Jameses and the James Browns, yep, yep. don't get lost in the source of what we know it to be. And you said something, I just want to make sure, because we were just talking about young people. I'm going to pivot right quick. Please tell the people about Yo, Everybody Eats. Oh, y'all stay hungry. LOL. Because I be like, everybody eats all the time. Because they so, do. So, um, yeah, um, many years ago, I actually started at August Martin. Again, Queens Get the Money. Um, I was rocking with a group of young folks. Uh, so back in the day, I wanted to be a chef. I actually realized in my high school yearbook, it said I wanted to be a chef, right? And so I was with these young folks at August Martin. They August Martin has a culinary program. And I was like, yo, why is there no culinary competition around hip-hop that bridge hip-hop with food and beverage. Because if you think about hip-hop, hip-hop is quote-unquote all about beef, right? And not only is it about beef, all rappers talk about is food. Honey's play me close like butter plate toast. Uh, a, a spaghetti, fettuccine and veal. Um, I got a baby. I need some money. I need queens, uh, I need cheese for my eggs. Like, we'll be here. We literally have an archive of tens of thousands of lyrics that mention food. So, you know, I got I got with some folks. Um, shout out to Average Johnson. Shout out to my best friend, Kat Crawford. Like, people was just with it, just as far as, like, creating this, um, creating this culinary experience. And we've been doing it for the last X number of years. And from that, we did a children's book called Everybody Eats. You know, one of the things I value personally as a human is everybody eats, right? Like, it's enough room for everybody. It's not like oh, we doing our thing over there and we can't rock with y'all. It's not. Gang, gang, gang. Um, and so we just did a children's book called Everybody Eats, in which we're just, it, it just really illustrates um, some of the lyrics that mention food and what it could look like. Um, and yeah, we've been out here cooking. Chef Curry with the pot boy. I, I don't even think people understand the monumental moment that yo stay hungry and hashtag everybody eats is especially when we're talking about the black experience in america and Mm. how much all of this just really fits under that umbrella i think it's it needs to be overstated that everybody eats and even just the yo stay hungry initiative though focused on uh rap hip-hop and talking about food there is such an intersection right there about Uh, systemic oppression and, Mm. you know, the history of violence in this country and how a lot of black people, even in the workplace, don't feel like, you know, if they make it and they get to C-suite that we don't we don't have an obligation to take everybody with us. And all of those things, like, right, just talking back to that moment that you spoke about with LL um, and and FUBU and The Gap, those those are everybody eats moments. And, you know, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast, I want to make sure that they're taking that away to that Though that has a lot to do with the mission and archival work, there's a deeper message in there about making sure that we are all living by that mission and pushing that value in. I'm ready for Yo Stay Hungry to come back whenever it does. We oh, here. Let's it's, go. Let's go. Let's go. It's about to okay. be outside for sure. Oh, come on. Let's go. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, there's there's a moment, um, I mean, because my sister's been doing a lot of work. Um, and, you know, when you do you do the work, people see you and the blessings continue to come. Can you please elaborate on your role as a producer on this Netflix's Ladies First documentary? And how did this documentary encapsulate the pivotal role of women in hip hop? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I work with a phenomenal, phenomenal team on Ladies First, no question. Um, and it was really a love 
love letter. You know what I mean? Like one, I think it's always interesting that we have to do docu-series, documentaries specifically around women. Cause you can't talk about anything without talking about women. You can't talk about the role of this, to your point earlier, you can't talk about the role of America without talking about black women in particular. Um, and so hip hop is just another layer of that, right? Like, yeah, we can talk about, you know, who's the greatest MC, Biggie, Jay-Z and us. We could be here all day with that. But I'm like, so we not going to talk about Cardi? We not going to talk about Lauren? We not going to talk about Nick? We not going to talk about Flo Millie? We not going to talk about Sweetie and Tiara Wack and Rhapsody? Like, we not going to talk about Misa Hilton? We not going to talk about June Ambrose? We not going to talk about, you know, I'll be here all day. Rhonda Cohen, we not going to talk about Dream Hampton, Karen Mayo and Joe Morgan, and Raquel Cepeda, and Mimi Valdez, and Sheena Lester, and Karen Glenn Marable. Like, I'll be here all day. And so uh, what was beautiful around Ladies First is it gave us the opportunity to show some of that. Having Bahamadia in the Ladies First, like, come on. Come yeah. on. You know what I mean? Like that was really a game changer. So it was like honor, honor and a privilege. And so inside of that producing work, not only did I produce it, but we did the archival for it. So talking about the importance of like digging in the crates and taking some of that like archival, and you, which usually means older, taking that older footage, taking those older stills and like position it in a new way and people in which, in which people now newly um, experience it. And photos and videos been out for 74,000 years, feel me? I'm so happy you brought this up. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but recently I went to um, the mayor had a hip hop 50 event and someone in the crowd screamed out at Cool Herc. And it was the funniest. It was the funniest thing to me. I don't know if it was funny everybody else. But it was the funniest thing to me because a woman, a black woman audience says, we're not going to talk about how that was your sister's party. Oh, shout out to Cindy. Be clear. You know what's fascinating? So it's this new book that just came out called... Um, what is it called? Fashion Killers. It's an amazing book. And it really just, I mean, it gets into the history of hip hop and fashion. And one thing that, like, I knew the story, but to read it in text again, if it wasn't for Cindy wanting to get jiggy for back to school, hip hop might would not have been a thing. Whew. I didn't say, I'm going to say it one more time for the people on the back. If it was not for Cindy Campbell wanting to get jiggy, to go to her first day of school, that first day fresh, we might not have had hip hop. To say Ooh. Cool Herc might not have been DJing, we don't know. But if it wasn't for the good sis Cindy, <sighs> it could have been ugly out here in these streets. Well, Again, what black women. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Congratulations, sis. I just want to say that first and foremost because that that documentary was so needed. And I'm hoping that we are showing young women right now, whether it is in fashion, um, whether it's in cosmetics and beauty, that there is a space for all of us. You know, I think TikTok took out a lot of the the air out of the room when it comes to imitation versus flattery, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at other people's work and learning. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of hip hop, you know, just because it's, it's it's the style culture, you know, it it's birthed out of that. I think there is a lot of inspiration that comes from women and specifically black women in this work. And yep. I'm hoping that we could continue to tell these stories. So shout out to Cindy. Fact, um, fact, most fact, incredible fact. studio. Let's 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 get into most incredible studio real quick. You know, it's a unique uh, in commemorating hip hop culture through Lego. 
Hello. And how did you approach celebrating artists and moments from hip hop culture through this distinct medium, Sarita Gates? It's all the same work, yo. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the remix, like literally. Like, and I get to talk greasy because I'm like, who moved more bricks than me? Yeah. No one. Mark. Call your favorite. <laughs> Call your favorite's favorite. <laughs> no one moved more bricks than me. Um, but nah, how that got started, essentially I was playing with the Lego. So I didn't grow up with Lego. Lego was mad expensive. And I was a Barbie girl. Like, you know, bar like my mother gave me like a Barbie Christmas one year and like the game was changed, right? So I was a Barbie girl. And so inside of that, when I got when I became an adult. Um, and I just needed to like vibe out and not really use my brain. I would go to Barnes and Nobles and in Barnes and Nobles, they used to have like this Lego architecture section. And so I picked up one, one night, um, and went to have like an adult beverage and just cool out. And I was like, Oh, this is cute. Like, this is really, really jiggy. And so after I built every piece in the, every set in the architecture collection, then I was like, yo, it'd be dope if they had like Lego sets that represent the culture. Like specifically speaking to black and brown folks. Um, and so my boy Al that I did Travel Noir with, shout out shout out to Al. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Al connected me with Randall. And I Randall had been playing with Lego for 30 years, like his whole life. He had a very different experience with Lego. And so I was like, yo, honestly, like let's do something magical for the culture. Like, what would it look like if there was a socket to me? You know what I mean? A socket to me Lego set the sock from the socket to me video. Or what does it look like if we built the source? What does it look like if we built the project? What does it like? What do these things look like? And Randall was with it. He's like, yeah, let's get it. And so that's how, you know, that's how most incredible happened. And there's a lot of work that we are looking forward to doing inside of Lego, right? Because then it's like, you know, we get to partner with schools because it's the whole STEAM um, situation. Like Lego is really all math and science, but it's mad jiggy. Like uh, the things that you can create inside of Lego is literally unparalleled. It's the equivalent in my in my ideology is the equivalent of having a paintbrush. It's the equivalent of having a pen. Like you just let magic happen and you know, we see what happened with it. Hashtag the hip hop is in everything. Fact. So this, this this most incredible studio led you on to Lego Masters, which is a notable achievement. Could Come you on, please tell us how your participation on that show helped in representing the diversity and creative essence of this too? Yeah, for sure. I wasn't to keep it a buck. I wasn't with it. I was like, y'all want me on TV, not on Fox? Nah, <laughs> I was not with it at all. My homegirl was like, girl, you know, it's not Bad Girls Club, right? <laughs> I was like, true, true, true. It's so my commitment. It's not loving hip hop. <laughs> it's not loving hip hop. Facts. Um, shout out to Mona one time. Um, but it was inside of that that I was like, oh, okay, my commitment is that I want young folks that look like me to see themselves and see what's possible. And so because that, because I changed my frame and because that was not a commitment, I was like, okay, I'm going to rock it out and I'm going to be my authentic self. Period. What I wore, I mean, you know, I got to talk about the fashion, but I'm like, what I wore on the show was what I wear. It's not like, oh, I was putting together. I mean, I put together some fits, but it wasn't like you would never see me in those fits. Like door knocker earrings, absolutely. Cazelles, absolutely. Koji sweaters, down to the socks. Like, you know what I mean? Like how I'm talking to you is how I talk, how I talk to 
people for million dollar meetings and how I took the kids. <laughs> Everybody gets the same energy. And so it was a really, really great opportunity. Uh, Will Arnett was really, really cool. You know, all of the big love to the Lego fam. Like Lego has really, the brand has really been showing us love for a lot of years. And we're just grateful that we get to show up and, you know, be a representation of what's possible when you follow your passion. You know what I mean? You do something jiggy. You know how lit I am when I talk to a five-year-old and I tell them I build stuff out of Lego? Like that's the dream. That's the dream for real. You know how lit I am when some eighth grader invites me to do career day? And right. I'm saying, yes, I'm pulling up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just really, really an honor and really a pleasure. And I'm happy I get to put on for the culture in this way. <laughs> I have a really, really random question. Um, what was your first touch point with J.Cal? That big, random building that you almost yeah. didn't know was there on Jamaica Next Avenue. to Chase, for sure. Yep. Like, we love J.Cal over here. Like, Big Same. love, big energy for J. Cal. Shout out to Wendy. Shout out to Leonard one time. Um, I'm sure I was taking dance lessons at J. Cal. Like, it was on the Ave. I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday, but it was parking in that block right next to right next to the bank. Um, and I remember passing it, like, even... So that's when I was a kid, but even, even, you know, when I got to high school, I went to St. John's, but I was on the Ave every day. The amount of times that we walked from 160th to 165 was breathtaking. So we was passing J-Cal every day. Like, we probably didn't realize the impact of the programming that it had on us. But if you pass a cultural art center that's been here for 50 years, you're going to feel the energy. You're going to feel the vibes. So J-Cal, you also can't talk about Queens without talking about J-Cal. Very true. And I'm, I think that is a Queen's love story right there. Just being a high school student, walking past this institution, maybe not even knowing as a young artist what, you know, or young creative, what this institution would mean to you yet. Right. Um, but it's this thing that when you get older, you're like, oh, I used to stand in front of him and argue with that girl about that guy. I yep. used to, you know, Literally. get my get my cell phone, you know, cover case yep. right here. Remember them two dollar belts? Like we, yeah. was, <laughs> we we was really outside. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? Now that I'm saying it out loud. There's so much that is changing around J. Cal, but the institution is still there. And I think right. that is something to note that with all of the structural and commercial real estate that is moving and around J.Cal that is staying there. So on yeah, behalf of them, Miss Gates, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for offering us up your time and your wisdom. Um, on behalf of J.Cal and me as your friend, I want to right. say thank you for everything that you do uh, for the culture and for the people. And we really 100% look forward to what's next um, for you and all of your amazing initiatives. Um, and continue to put queens on your back yes you already know thank you for the invite you already know anything you request is a yes shout out to the good people at jcal and cheers in advance for all of the awards you about to run up with the podcast <laughs> today. thank you talk to you soon <laughs>
Become an official JCal member for just $100 a year for free creative workshops, seminars, and enrichment opportunities year round. Members also get 20% discounted access to our full lineup of classes and workshops. Through key partnerships, JCal is also able to offer members deeply discounted parking passes on Jamaica Avenue and Broadway tickets starting at just $20. What are you waiting for? Head to jcal.org and become a member today. We are welcomed today by New York City-based multimedia journalist and broadcaster, Brian B. Miller. Brian, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, Brian, let's jump right in. You're from Queens. Yes. Where are you from? I am from South Jamaica, Queens, New York City, born in Jamaica Hospital. I don't remember which floor, but I promise <laughs> you I was born there. <laughs> but um, yeah, from here, man. Um, born and raised in, um, like I said, South Jamaica, um, Sufton Boulevard, Merrick Boulevard, all around. So that's that's hometown. True, true from Southeast Queens. I love to hear it. Um, yep. Talk to me a little bit about this this journey of you um, integrating into hip hop journalism. Man, um, well, it all started. You know, being from Queens is that when you when you're from here, being in hip hop, it's almost in your DNA. So for me, it started when I was in college. Actually, it actually started in high school when I used to take magazines and plaster them along my wall of some of my colleagues that would eventually become my friends. Um, and I just had it lined up all around my wall. And, um, when I got to college, I went to Delaware State University. And, um, while I was there, I started writing for the school newspaper and, um, I became the, I went from a staff writer eventually becoming to the editor of the entertainment section. And from there, um, I freelanced for a bunch of magazines from Don Diva, XXL, uh, King Magazine, and, um, a bunch of other titles. And um, once I did that, um, I got really good at it. <laughs> and once I graduated, I became a, a staff writer at XXL Magazine in 2006. Amazing. You've worked on uh, projects with artists like Kendrick Lamar and Nipsey Hussle. Is there a pivotal moment or two that led you to becoming this major voice in hip-hop journalism? Well, I want to say I, I worked with them on um, particular projects. They shouted me out on some of their <laughs> projects, which is Equally as good. Um, with Nipsey Hussle, it was cool because he had put out this $100 mixtape called Crenshaw. And at the time, I was running a website called RapRadar.com. It was a, a hip-hop blog. Still up and running, but I don't handle it day-to-day. And um, he had asked me to um, post uh, a meet-and-greet or something like that for his um, for his project. And I told him, I said, hey, you know, we really don't do that. It feels like an ad. But if you explain why you're selling this mixtape for $100, I'll post it. And he's like, you know what? That's a really good idea. So like 10 minutes later, he whipped up like this two, par- two three paragraph explanation as to why he was selling his tape for that price. And uh, we posted it. And then like, I think the day later, or maybe hours later, I don't remember exactly what happened, but Jay-Z... Um, frequented the website. He saw what Nipsey wrote and thought it was a great strategy and contacted myself and uh, um, Elliot Wilson, my partner on Rap Radar. I was like, you know what? I'm a, I, I want to support and help. And he ended up buying 100 copies uh, of, of the project. And um, Nipsey, you know, of course, he was really happy about that. And on his song, uh, Count Off the Loop, on his next project called Mailbox Money, he gave me a shout out for uh, helping assist in that. And um, with Kendrick Lamar, he shouted me out on a song called Perfect Pop, Perfect Pint, 
which was on a Mike Will Made It album. And um, it was featuring him, Ray Shremmett, and Gucci Man. And he said, uh, he shouted me out because of a conversation we had prior. So it's always good when you have people like that, you know, um, acknowledging your presence and your contributions into their art. So it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah, 100% um, and, and pivotal as well. How important for you is journalism and preserving and documenting the culture um, impact of music, especially with hip hop? Oh, it's everything. I mean, you know, I, I was kind of, I kind of grooved myself into this profession. Like when I was a, a kid, um, even as a young adult, I would just collect magazines. You know, that's that was my source of information, just collecting as many hip-hop titles or even non-hip-hop titles as, as possible. And I would just have them, you know. And it was been times I thought about throwing them away, but I was like, nah, these feel like artifacts that I need to keep and hold. And as fate would have it, it turns out they 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 come to my advantage when I try to do research. So, you know, I'm glad I held on to those, to those magazines and to those books for when I'm trying to, um, you know, do my research. But it, it's it's super important, man. Like hip hop documentation is everything, and you know what I do with Rap Radar, I try to uh, I try to preserve as much of it as possible because it's all documentation. You know, a lot of times people come up to me and be like, "Hey, I love that interview you guys did um, with so and so," and it's like ten years old or maybe even eight years old. I'm totally forgot, but you know that that document still exists, whether it's on video or whether it's um, Audible or if it's written, you know, so I'm really, I'm really proud of that. I think that that's really important just to preserve as much as you can, especially in this day and age where things are so fleeting and disposable. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I wish I could uh, be a, a fly on the wall in Harris Publications and grab a few <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. of those magazines in that back room, I'm sure. And, if we just It's so look crazy back, now. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy now is that like a lot of if you look on eBay, a lot of the magazines from like the 90s are selling for like hundreds of dollars. People want those those titles. So it's like there's definitely value in them, even though, I, you know, magazines are what they used to be and print isn't what they used to be. People, there's still a community for them. And um, people yeah. love that documentation process. Like nostalgia is at a premium these days. Ooh, that was a bar. Nostalgia is at a <laughs> premium these days because it is. You know, I think there's no way to talk about what's going to be if we're not clear on what was. Um, yeah, sometimes you got to look back to know where exactly, you're going. Exactly. Um, you worked on corporate partnerships with Facebook, Google, and Netflix. How do you navigate the intersection of journalism, music, and corporate partnerships? Um, and what challenges, opportunities does it present? Um, Just kind of being myself. Uh. I always believe when you do the work, things come to you. So when people like Netflix or uh, Google or Facebook, or Meta, if they call it these days, when they approach me to participate in something, it's all from the work. And, you know, just by, I've been in this business going on 20 years. And uh, I feel like, you know, a lot of times people approach me like, how did, how did you work with this person or how did you work with that? I'm like, you know, just, just by being me and doing the work. And I think things will come. Um, as far as like challenges, I really haven't, I've been fortunate. I haven't really faced any, um, you know, with working with um, some of these uh, Fortune 500 companies. Everything has been smooth sailing, knock on wood. Um, I just think if you operate with integrity, um, it will show. And um, I think that's the reason why I've been so successful in that area. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know what your sign is, but you seem pretty chill. You seem, oh, my sign you seem- is dollar. 
love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and with, as you with said, the Capricorn rising. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> that was a good one. I, I was still there. Uh, listeners, you know, just, just make sure you know where you got it from. Um, in, in your experience, um, how was journalism evolved in capturing and preserving the cultural nuance, nuances of hip hop over the years? You know, it's we, we've seen mm-hmm. a lot of changes in what journalism looks like, especially yeah. with our shift to social media. Um, I'm, I'm interested from your perspective. What, 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 what does that look like? It looks digital. You know, I think it's it's evolving, like as you as you posed. Um, it's it's not what it it's different mediums. It's not the traditional medium of like print or or um television. It's it is social media, it is uh documenting things on YouTube. It's it, it's I think the power is in in the user. Like I don't think there's uh a gate anymore for a point of entry. Anyone could kind of mm-hmm get into the game these days. I mean, like, if you think about it back in the day, like, you, you know, someone like Zapruder, you know, when he filmed the JFK assassination, like, that's documentation. That's journalism now, you know? Like, I don't think it's one thing anymore. So um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's it's just, it's just versatile, you know? Um, it looks like this, podcasting. It looks like um, vlogging. Um, I just think it's all documentation. And it's all in the eyes, like you said, of the beholder, you know, which which way, which medium do you prefer in, right. in um, capturing what you need to? Right. Um, you know, where I came up, I just thought I had to be a print journalist for the rest of my life in order to be successful. And, you know, we got to, you know, evolve with the time. When we started Rap Radar in 2008, it was like around the time uh, Huffington Post was uh, booming. We had um, Perez Hilton. It was very bloggy. And when we started, I had no idea what a blog was. I was like, am I going to have to learn HTML? Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know this. What, what, right. I don't I, I don't ever know how to hook up a MySpace page. But, you know, eventually I learned um, the, the proper channels of how to go about doing things. And, you know, we did a pretty good job documenting the culture. Like, if you go back on Rap Radar now, you know, we've been up for over 10, what, 15 years almost, close. And, you know, our documentation, a lot of websites have folded. A lot of people don't have archive stuff. You can see our archives. And, um, you know, it's really dope that how we've preserved that. I'm interested to know, you know, what, what advice you would have for a young person trying to navigate, um, you know, journalism now. I think, to your point, it's so much harder. I could have, you know, 80 followers, but I have a certain <laughs> perspective on you know, something that's happening in the game or, you know, the culture encompasses, you know, hip hop is a part of that culture in so many different ways, you know, but I mean, of course, I, you know, from my perspective, the industry quote unquote could be very gatekeeping in that way. It could yeah. block you in so many ways. Um, you know, I'm sure if you're a woman, there's a whole different level of things you have to navigate. So, you know, from your perspective, do you have any um, thoughts or, um, offers rather to give to some young people trying to navigate how to get in here? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot. And, you know, I don't want to be a killjoy or anything like that, but I would always ask um, someone who's asking me that, why? Know your why. Like, why mm-hmm. Why do you want to be in this business? You know, if it's for the money, you know, get a job UPS is hiring. Like, <laughs> this, is, this isn't the place to get rich. I mean, granted, there are people who are making good money 
you know, um, from this thing. But it's like, it, it comes later on down the line. But I would ask someone's like, you know, well, I, I would tell them to do some self-reflection and ask yourself, why do you want to be in this business? Like, why is it important for you to cover hip hop or any kind of um, subject for that matter? Like, you know, why is it important? You know, why do you want to do this? So I think that's the biggest thing I would um, ask any young person that wants to get into the game or break into is just to, to find your purpose and find your why. And once you establish that, um, get find mentors. And a lot of times people want people to hold their hand as what mentorship looks like. I think mentorship could be someone you don't even know. I mean, we have YouTube and I know so many billionaires and so many successful success, excuse me, successful people on that platform that are giving advice for free. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never gonna be able to talk to Oprah Winfrey, right? Most people aren't, but I'm sure there's interviews with her explaining how to, you know, break into the game or, you know, giving her uh adding her two cents into um into the field. So I think that's the best course of action is just, you know, try to find your why find mentors and just put that work in. put your head down and do the work. Do you think any of that uh, being a creative from Queens has influenced your work and how you, you know, navigate Queens in the background of all you do um, in your industry? Yeah, absolutely. I take Queens with me everywhere I go, you know, and um, there's all of my friends from me. I have friends from all across the boroughs, but, you know, I'm influenced just by, you know, the people that I grew up with and I want to do a good job. So it's like, I, I'm mindful of them whenever I'm, when I'm operating, when I move, um, you know, my family's, a lot of them still here. So I, you know, I take Queens everywhere I go. Um, you know, where I could be in on the moon and I'll tell an alien, yeah, I'm from Queens, man. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And that's a fact. (laughs) You know, something, um, I've noticed now, you know, obviously um, getting older and as us as Queensites move across the world, there isn't anywhere I can go where I'm not seeing somebody from Queens. Yeah, they try to leave us out. They try to leave us out. You know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn is like everywhere, but we here too. (laughs) <laughs> we we really are from LA to Boston to Delaware, you know, and it and it's always a unique story. Whether y'all went to middle school together, whether you went to junior high school together, whether you ended up going to an HBCU or a university together, mm-hmm. I read um, that you went to Dell State. You know, I know so many people that went to Dell State. You know, and yep. you just don't know like where from Queens you're gonna meet these people again later in life. And I think it's just such a fun thing to walk in a room and be like, "Where are you from?" Wait, they're, they're not, I see, I know you from somewhere, you know, yeah. um, and it happens all the time to me. So I can imagine um, the ties that you end up having and the threads that are created um, in your work. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's a small world. Queens is the biggest borough, but it really feels like the smallest a lot of times. Especially on our side, right? Like, especially yeah, on that sure. Southeast Queens, Jamaica, St. Albans, Cambria, Holocide. It is such a, and I try to explain it to people who are not from where we're from, that it's like there's so many different pockets of that geographical area, including Far mm-hmm. Rockaway. But yeah. it's like, you know, everybody outside of that area thinks it's all Jamaica, right? That's what they call it. It's all, <laughs> right. it's all Jamaica, Queens. And it's so crazy that they're, you know, far apart, but not really. There's, there's nothing but a, a few boulevards between the north and the south uh, side of, of, of southeast Queens. And right. It's 
it's always, you know, it's, it's really, really a, a big, a big uh, culture of community that's created that I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you if it exists like this anywhere else. Um, right. I'm, I'm interested to know, we were talking about Jamaica Avenue. Can we talk about like important, important spaces like the Jamaica Center of Arts and Learning and the role they play in preserving the culture of the communities they serve? You know, J.Cal has a theater, it has arts, it has dancing that happens in it, it has two huge art galleries. What do you think that their significance is? Um, this thing that you walk right past by Chase Bank uh, and now a Shake Shack on Jamaica Avenue. That's crazy. Um, right? <laughs> what, what role do you, you know, what, what's, what's their important uh, role in, in preserving uh, the culture as well? I mean, they played a, a, a super important role because, like I said, we have, like we discussed, Queens has so much history and such a rich legacy. It's important to have an incubator for those places, you know, somewhere, a hub, rather. And um, I love the fact that the center, you know, encompasses that, you know, like it, it's a, it looks, it, it could be deceiving, you know, you might pass it, but once you enter, you're mm-hmm. transported to a whole nother world of just rich heritage and legacy of, um, from people from Queens and, and the boroughs as, as a whole. I love what you said. You called it an incubator. You called it a hub. I think those are such important uh, words to what J. Cal does. Um, Mr. Dot, we are so happy that you found some time to be with us today. Uh, yes. On behalf of J. Cal and Queens, we thank you for the pivotal role that you are continuing to play um, in preserving the culture and journalism and also, you know, taking us to the moon with you. Uh, is there any <laughs> last words that you have for our listeners today? I just want to thank you for uh, taking the time to speak to me and um, shout out to all the listeners and always Queens in the house, man. For sure. (laughs) See you soon. (laughs) All right. All right. Get into the arts at Jamaica Center for Arts and Learning. Our mission is devoted to offering quality, visual, performing, and literary arts and to providing accessible education programs to encourage participation in the arts. We present free events and festivals ranging from film to dance, theater, music, and more. On the visual artist side, we mount exhibitions, artist talks, and initiatives in our two galleries. Whether you are into classes, workshops, exhibitions, or events, there is something for you at JCal. Learn more at jcal.org.